Once again, we welcome you back to Moving Forward with Young Voices here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. I am pleased to welcome Kat Dwyer. She is a Young Voices contributor working in the conservation policy space. She's also co-host of the Whiskey Bench podcast. And uh, Kat, it's good to catch up with you. I understand you're getting your third bout of winter up in, in your neck of the woods. That is correct. It's it's pretty cold here in Bozeman, Montana, where I'm located. <laughs> you know, you look at the calendar and somehow you would think April 13th should look a little more spring-like, but not always so. Yeah, that's usually when we get our third round of winter. So, <laughs> it's <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're then pretty much used to it. I look, I have an article here in front of me that uh, you are the author of this article. Green tech isn't all it's cracked up to be. And and first of all, I'm imagining that uh, there were a few knee-jerk reactions to people who are very firmly within the green camp. You know, how this this must be blasphemy, but you make a pretty solid case that a lot of the things that are sold to us is, as green solutions, and there's a nice picture of these wonderful wind turbines, that uh, it may not be quite the answer it's been portrayed to be. Help me understand how how green tech may do some good, but maybe it isn't the panacea that uh, that we've been led to believe it is. Yeah, well, it's it's an important issue that, um, you know, more, I think, conservationists and environmentalists need to pay attention to. Um, but basically, green technology in the form of, of solar and wind tech um, is kind of haunted by this uncomfortable reality. Um, and that is that the production and the disposal of this technology leaves behind it sort of a wake of environmental degradation. Um, and that's because things like solar panels, wind turbines, um, and batteries for electric cars, for example, they all require rare earth minerals, um, which must be mined for. Um, and that mining is largely done overseas, um, as is the refining of these minerals. Um, and that process uh, disrupts ecosystems. It releases contaminants um, that threaten air and groundwater quality. And it kind of just, it, it, it really... Um, disrupts natural spaces, especially when it's conducted in in places like China, which is one uh, leading nation that dominates that rare earth mining and refining. Um, There are very little um, environmental precautions taken in nations like that. Um, And so the environmental destruction is is pretty grave. I want to back up for just a moment, too, because there's a phrase here I'm not familiar with. I'm familiar with wind. I'm familiar with solar. What do what do you mean by carbon capture? Oh, um, uh, carbon capture. Um, that's kind of, I, I would say that's a, that's a separate issue. Um, from aside from this technology, um, I think one that's, that's in many ways promising, but kind of nascent, um, and, and maybe something we should actually, um, uh, put more resources towards perhaps. Um, but, but really what the Biden administration seems to be kind of zeroing in on is subsidizing and propping up um, solar and, and wind industries. Um, and, and as I mentioned, uh, those two technologies, they, they at sort of at the front end in terms of their, um, the, the mining and refining of those rare earth minerals that are key components of those technologies, there's a whole host of environmental degradation that takes place. And then the other kind of problem with these things is that they have a very short life cycle. Um, wind turbines and solar panels last for roughly 25 years. Um, and so then we have to deal with disposing of these technologies and the disposal of them is, um, also incredibly problematic because recycling for a variety of reasons just doesn't make sense economically. Um, and so a lot of these technologies wind up just being dumped in landfills 
um, and not landfills even in the United States, but they're often shipped overseas to impoverished nations that, again, don't have the same environmental precautions in place that the United States would have. Um, and so we have instances of you know, toxic material and solar panels leaching into groundwater, that sort of thing. Um, and it's kind of this problem that's compounding um, and, and we don't have a good answer for it yet. This makes me think of an essay by um, that famous French economist, Frederick Bastiat, uh, that which is seen and that which is not seen. Um, you know, he, he makes the case that a good economist is going to think not only about the intended immediate consequence of a particular policy, but also what else might it affect. And, and this sounds like a classic case of, but look, this is green energy and, and it's creating jobs. But on the flip side of that, there's, there's some things uh, you point out, uh, you know, Toxic waste, polluted groundwater, uh, sometimes even forced labor. That was that was kind of a chilling thing to to understand. Yeah, that's another um, incredibly uncomfortable reality with these technologies um, in uh, in China. I think it's pretty well known at this point. Um, there's an ongoing severe persecution of the Uyghur Muslims, and several prominent solar companies that distribute their their panels um, in the United States and, and abroad internationally, um, their supply chains have been linked to forced labor of, of the Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang province. Um, so that's, you know, horrific and obviously a PR nightmare for those solar companies. Um, and in addition to that, uh, cobalt is another key element, one of these rare earths that's used in things um, like batteries for energy storage or, or in electric cars. Um, and that's primarily mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which don't let that name fool you. The Congo is neither democratic nor a, really a republic. Um, and children as young as five years old are known to work those mines. So, so yes, you're exactly right. There's, there's this um, environmental degradation that's severe and, and immediate. Um, and then there's also a whole host of human rights abuses. Um, so it's, it's, it's a sad reality, but sort of forced labor, toxic waste, polluted groundwater, and the suppression of local communities have kind of become this hallmark of rare earth mining industries in places like China and the Congo, which were largely dependent on those nations, unfortunately. Let's talk for a moment about uh, the, the intended goal of this green tech. Um, the, the intended goal, is, as I understand it, is we're, we're trying to, to be sustainable. We're trying to clean up the, the air. Um, is it going too far to say that this is to help address concerns about climate change as well? Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, the primary thing it's it's marketed to achieve. Um, you know, Biden has has pledged to usher in um, a net zero emission economy by 2050 or sooner, um, which is, you know, that, that's a, a lofty goal. Um, and and unfortunately, he seems uh, sort of intent on pursuing that goal um, by by forcing our um the United States to become more reliant on energy from from solar and wind, um, which for a whole host of reasons is incredibly impractical. Um, it's very hard to scale those technologies. Uh, they require massive amounts of land um, because they are not power dense. Um, they they have the environmental degradation issues that I've mentioned, um, and and they're produce intermittent power. So they're not, um, they're not reliable. Um, and what I argue in my piece is that if we really want to have a zero emission energy source, that's reliable, and that doesn't leave us dependent on abusive regimes overseas and doesn't have this huge waste and, and toxic, um, sort of challenge associated with it, nuclear energy is really the way to go. Wow. 
I bet that gets some people's attention. It does. And there's a lot of misconceptions about nuclear energy, but it actually produces um, one fun anecdote is 300 times less weight per per unit of electricity generated than solar panels. So there's this idea that it that that it creates this toxic sludge that's you know detrimental. And the reality is it doesn't produce that much waste and what it does produce can be contained really easily. Um, so it's kind of the only really practical, scalable solution um, or alternative to carbon emitting energy sources. We've got about one minute left. Um, Kat, talk to me about uh, the the dent that uh, solar and and uh, and wind are making in terms of, of providing for our energy. I saw a chart recently. I was surprised. It's a very tiny fraction of the overall energy production still. Oh, it still is. Yeah. Yeah. Despite massive subsidies. Um, and I don't I think we can throw more money at it, but it's going to be incredibly hard to scale it Um, because as we've seen in, you know, California, their experience a couple summers ago is a perfect example of this. It produces power so intermittently and storage of that power is just not possible at this point. So trying to power an advanced society like in the United States on this on this technology um, is just not practical. Um, So no matter how much money we throw at it, I, I it ha- you have to have base load energy, like a consistent energy source like nuclear or natural gas or coal even, if we really, um, if, if we don't want to revert back to the 19th century in terms of our standard of living. Um, so yeah, it, it has a small fraction of, of uh, it contributes a small fraction to our grid now, and, and I don't think it's scalable at this point. All right, we've been talking with Young Voices contributor Kat Dwyer. Kat, I'm grateful we have you as a resource on, resource on matters like this. Let's talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian.